0: have your bibles please open them to proverbs chapter 3 we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning the text can be found on page 528 in the bibles in the pews if you do not have your bible with you proverbs chapter 3 starting in verse 1 my son do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you bind them around your neck Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. And now let us go to the Lord in prayer as we come to his word this morning. Our Father God, we do ask that you would give us this wisdom, your wisdom this morning. To help us to see the folly of depending upon ourselves, of trusting in ourselves, but seeing the beauty and the blessing and the security that can be found in trusting in you and you alone. Bless the preaching of your word. Forgive this preacher's sins, which are many. And we ask that you would be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever been repelling before? I remember my first time rappelling was when I was on a trip to Zion National Park with my brother shortly after we gra- I graduated college. We were spending a week exploring the park and, and one of the days we spent was to get into the canyons that are beautiful there. If you've never been, I would encourage you to go, but in order to get into the canyons you need to rappel down from cliffs of various heights. Again, I had never been before, and so after he walked me through the the safety precautions, the harness fittings, and the particulars about how to repel, we set out for our starting location. And I wish I could tell you I remember how high it was, but I don't. All I remember was I swallowed a little bit harder, and I had an honest moment of, do I really want to do this? Is this really the adventure I want to seek today? But still we went through all the steps of securing our harnesses, of anchoring in, of securing ourselves, and we went on. And then came what I like to call the moment of commitment, which if anyone here has repelled, knows what that moment is. It is when you slowly back up to the edge of the cliff, set your feet on the edge, and then just sit back like you're sitting in a chair. Because why else? What else are you going to do besides sit back on the edge of a cliff like you're sitting in a chair. I call it a moment of commitment because all of your trust, all of your dependence in that moment is on your equipment, the harness, the anchor, the instruction that you have received. Literally you are putting all of your weight into these things trusting that they will do what they are designed to do. To slowly, slowly and safely get you to the canyon floor. Our text this morning in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12, presents a similar picture of commitment. For the son whom his father is writing to in these first nine chapters of Proverbs, for him to live and navigate life faithfully, with all of its complexities, with all of its difficulties, he needs to commit himself to Wisdom. And for you and I today here this morning to navigate life faithfully with all of its complexities and all of its difficulties, we also must commit ourselves to wisdom. Committing to wisdom means embracing a humble dependence upon the Lord. That's the message the father gives his son in these 12 verses. You may remember, you probably don't, that last year we spent two weeks in Proverbs chapter two, I unofficially coined it two weeks in Proverbs chapter 2. This year, we're going to do three weeks in Proverbs chapter 3. It fits, but it also comes off of the heels of Proverbs chapter 2, where, whether you remember it or not, the father is pointing his son in the direction of wisdom, telling his son it is going to protect you and deliver you in the days ahead. And in Proverbs 3, he then expounds upon that lecture. And for our text this morning, we'll see three points that are kind of summaries of the three overarching commands the Father gives. You'll find these points in page 7 of the bulletin. Keep wisdom close, trust the Lord completely, and welcome the Lord's correction. These are the, the basic summaries of the commands that the Father gives to his Son. And hopefully these will inform and encourage us in our wholehearted dependence upon the Lord, the source and the giver of all wisdom. we begin where where the Father does with the call to keep wisdom close in verses 1 through 4. From the beginning of the Father's speech all the way back in chapter 1 he has been unashamed to associate his instructions with wisdom God's wisdom and no he's not boasting in his knowledge he's not boasting in his ability to teach instead he's trusting that what he is seeking to impart to his son is nothing other than the wisdom of God himself. The covenant-keeping God who is all-wise and all-knowing. For God's wisdom is that unrivaled wisdom that is revealed in in his law. It flows from how he has created and ordered the world to operate. And it rests in his faithful ability to promise, to, to give to the wise what he promises in his own time and in his own way. And with this understanding, then, it is no wonder that we read the father urging his son to keep wisdom close. Just how close does he want his son to keep wisdom? For those of you who are my age or older, you might remember the old American Express slogan that was in all the commercials, never leave home without it. I think Jerry Seinfeld was the celebrity of choice during my childhood at the end of every commercial to save him from an emergency or to allow him to spend that money. It was pull out that card and never leave home without it. And actually I I learned that they've changed their slogan, which I think is a little bit more dramatic for a credit card, but really fitting for this sermon. And it's now not don't leave home without it, don't live life without it. This is what the father is telling his son when it comes to wisdom. Don't live life without it. For all the students here who are getting ready to go back to school, whether it's to college or or to grade school, this is a helpful word as you prepare to go. Don't leave wisdom behind. Don't forget to pack it with you. Don't try to live life without it. And we see that this closeness that the father desires for his son to have with wisdom is at first external. The beginnings of verses 1 and 3, they parallel one another. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The father is telling his son, you need to work, to memorize, to remember You're going to need to constantly and daily rehearse the things that I have taught you. The things that your mother has taught you. In here is a call then to perseverance and to diligence. In seminary, as we went through our our languages, Greek and Hebrew, our professors would always tell us that out of sight, out of mind is a real danger if you're trying to press on in the languages. So they would tell us, just do five minutes a day in your Hebrew or your Greek, and it it will keep that muscle flexing. And I wish I could say I I took their wisdom, but I didn't. Thank goodness there's still Bible software, though. But unfortunately, the same applies to wisdom. If the son is not going to diligently work to keep it close, to remember, to rehearse, he's going to quickly lose it. And if you and I don't aim to remember, to rehearse, the wisdom that we find in the law of God, the wisdom that we receive from our parents, from our grandparents, from our teachers, from the preaching of his word, we will quickly find ourselves prone to forget it. But the Father is not content with just saying, keep it externally close. It needs to move internally. Again, we see that the second halves of verses 1 and 3 parallel one another. The Father says, let your heart keep, or literally guard, hold my commandments. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Moses would tell the Israelites a similar word of teaching right after the confession we made earlier in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, "And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Wisdom needs to reach far beyond rote memorization or the ability that we have to recall. As helpful as those things are, just ask any teacher. Wisdom needs to reach deeper. It It must plunge the depths of our hearts. The heart must be involved because the heart is ultimately where our decisions and our actions flow. The heart is where our affections are stirring and where they lie. The father's command then to to make it internal is really telling his son to glory in, to meditate on, and then to act by wisdom. Wisdom. To let the wisdom of God sink deep. To plunge the depths of his heart so that it will eventually seep out of it. So that it can't help but seep out of it. In everything that the son does, everything that the son thinks, everything that the son desires, flows from wisdom. And he will find that it actually guards him even as he's seeking to guard it. It will keep him from leaving wisdom at home. Keep him from leaving to seek a life without it. It will even make remembering and rehearsing and recalling not so much a burden, but a delight. And then the Father closes this section about keeping wisdom close by promising that wisdom will bring the Son blessing. The even verses in this entire section contains the blessing that is promised from wisdom. We read it here in verses two and four, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you, so you will find favor and good success or good repute in the sight of God and man. Again, We we could spend a good deal of time just unpacking what these promises are, but I think we can also adequately summarize them by saying they promise security and peace. Wisdom promises certainty and stability in a very uncertain and unstable world that we navigate day in and day out. It also promises us peace, both peace with God and peace with man in a world where peace is lacking and hard to find. And you'll note that these are not just random blessings that the father pulls out of his head. These are covenant blessings tied directly to covenant faithfulness, which the son is going to experience and know as he holds wisdom close, externally and internally. And For us as we're here this morning, we, we can confess that our natural bent is towards sin and folly. And so it makes keeping wisdom close a daily struggle for us. But let these words of the Father convince us that the struggle is worth it. Let us seek to find and to know wisdom sinking deeper and deeper into our hearts. To learn to love it, to put it into practice and then then ask God to allow it to shape us, shape our affections, shape our desires, shape our actions. For we'll find that it keeps us safe. It keeps us secure. It will keep us faithfully walking in step with God in his word. So may we not heed the words of the American Express slogan, but maybe heed the thought. Don't live life without wisdom. Then moving from our first point then to the second, the father brings a new command. It isn't just to keep wisdom close. The son needs to trust the Lord completely. Now these verses of five and six are some of the most familiar verses, not only in the book of Proverbs, but possibly in all of scripture. If you grew up in the church, these were probably some of the first verses you learned to memorize as a kid, whether that was willing memorization or unwilling. These are likely found framed in your own homes or hanging on your walls. And for some, they've they've proven themselves to be incredibly helpful and comforting words in the midst of a very difficult season or a difficult trial. Or just generally as you've, thought, as you've sought to live faithfully to the Lord. And without any desire or intention of negating such encouragement, the truth is that every single one of these verses flies squarely in the face of both our culture and our native, our natural state. I don't think I have to push too hard to say that self-reliance and independence are the celebrations of our day. It's the soup that we swim in. All you need to do is listen to any of the songs on the radio, watch any of the movies or the television programs. The heroes are those who trust in themselves. They're the ones who spurn the wisdoms of generation before them, let alone a divine wisdom, and decide to blaze their own path. They're the ones we are told to emulate. They're the ones we're told to follow. But that problem is not just out there, that problem is in here as well. Because our own fallen hearts proclaim that same message to us day in and day out. It's the mantra of our sin nature, trust yourself, you know better, you're smart enough, your understanding is good. We've inherited this from our first parents who back in the garden spurned the wisdom of the Lord seeking their own wisdom. chose to trust in themselves and their promises instead of the Lord and his good and faithful promises. And as a result, we daily then struggle to rely upon the Lord to trust in him completely. Too often we're prone to turn to our own wisdom. And so as much as we can and should receive comfort from these words, we also need to allow them to correct us. We must hear in them the gracious and wise calling of our heavenly father to trust him as one commentator says entirely exclusively and exhaustively in these five verses they have a lot to say but the message i think can be boiled down into three general commands dependence fear and honor dependence we find in verses five and six look at with look at it with me trust in the lord with all your heart Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. There's nothing half-hearted in these words. Just as the son's heart must be informed and formed by wisdom, so he needs to be wholly dependent upon the Lord. The picture of leaning is not what I'm doing right now of just, I have nothing better to do but to lean on this pulpit. Or the leaning we do just to catch a break or if we were younger to look cool Or now that we're older, just to avoid being seen. No, this leaning is the idea of putting your full weight into something. It is that picture of me rappelling down the mountain where I put my full weight and lean fully back on my harness, on the ropes and the anchor, trusting them to keep me from plunging to my death. The truth is, the Lord is the only one who can handle such weight. You and I can't, no matter how hard we try to convince ourselves that we can. Human wisdom is lacking. And that idea of acknowledging is not simply saying, I'm aware of the Lord, but it points to intimacy. It points to that picture of knowing the Lord, of daily walking with him, communing with him. So trusting is not sitting close to him for a a short period of time learning and then finally saying, okay, I got it. I'll go from here. But it's daily walking in that close relationship with the immortal, invisible, only wise God who is also our heavenly father and covenant Lord. We learn dependence, but not by walking away from, but daily walking close to our father, leaning our full weight on our father. And trusting in his perfect and exhaustive understanding. The second commandment of fear then comes in verse 7. Where he says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Human beings, like you and like me, are experts at being wise in our own eyes. We're really good at it. It's why we're told not to do it over and over again in scripture. Josh read Paul telling the Roman church not to do it in Romans chapter 12. In our fallen state, we we are prone to think our judgments are right, our evaluations are spot on, our insight is special, that we know better. And if you want proof of it on an extremely sad and tragic level, look no further than if you remember about a month ago that story of that submersible that was known to explore the, the, the wreckage of the Titanic. As more and more information was coming out, you found that the the brains behind this entire submarine, they intentionally spurned or rejected or ignored every bit of wisdom regarding ocean exploration, water pressure, safety, engineering and the like. They thought they knew better, they thought they could blaze a new trail. They thought themselves to be wiser, smarter, more knowledgeable than the science and the experts and all five people paid the tragic price. And fearing the Lord then is the antidote to such foolishness. It reminds us that God is God and we are not. It humbles us by holding out before us that he is the almighty one. He is the all wise one. We are but the creature. Fearing the Lord keeps us walking in, chasing after, and keeps us from walking in, rejoicing after, and chasing evil, whether that evil is around us or at war within us. Fear of the Lord is that corrective lens that we all need to see ourselves, to see our world, and to see the wise God who has made us in the right and proper perspective. And then the third command we see is honor. It closes out this picture of dependence, this trust in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Now this may seem a little bit out of place when we first read it. Why does the Father suddenly shift from talking about wisdom to now talking about wealth? And the truth is, how we use our wealth reveals where our trust ultimately lies. This call is for us to give our best to the Lord. That's that picture of the first fruits. We don't give them the leftovers. We give them what we get first. And it was a commandment of the people of God to give of the first fruits. So the Father isn't really providing any new revelation. He's merely confirming what the people of God had already known to be good and right. But in the context of this speech, the Father is framing this use of wealth... This giving of our first fruits as an indicator or an expression of our complete trust in the Lord. We're either going to esteem the Lord that the, with the honor that is due or seek to take it from him. We're either going to declare that he is our ultimate treasure or, at best, he's the runner up. He is certainly worthy of the honor that is, declares and asks us to give of our best. The question is, will we trust him enough to give it to him and let him use it as he sees fit, as he sees fit? And once again, as I, I did with the, the first point, I, I want to close by just quickly pointing to the blessings that we see in the, the even verses. The blessings that we find promise to those who trust in the Lord completely. Look at the even verses of 6 and 8 and 10. And he will make your path straight, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, we could spend a whole sermon just unpacking these promises. For the sake of time, again, I think we can summarize them well with safety, healing, and abundance. Safety is found in walking straight paths. No, this doesn't mean paths that are literally straight and never turn. The straight is is that picture of moral uprightness. These are good paths to walk on. These are right paths. Paths that steer clear of destruction and folly. Healing is both physical and spiritual because we know that sin and folly are not just stumbling blocks, they're diseases running rampant from Genesis 3 onward. Turning from them and towards the Lord and his wisdom is the pathway to healing. If you are struggling spiritually, physically, one of the solutions is to turn again to the Lord. Turn to his wisdom and find healing. And likewise, abundance is also physical and spiritual. For trusting in the Lord is how we acquire our wealth, it's how we use our wealth, and it leads to satisfaction and joy. For we find in it God is glorified, our needs are met, and others are served. And So the question for all of us this morning is, where is your trust this morning? It doesn't matter if you're in the midst of a deep trial, or riding the waves of success. The temptation for all of us here is, is to turn to ourselves, to trust in our own understanding, to trust in our scheming to get ourselves out of the trial, or to keep ourselves from entering into the trial. Again, we need to heed the advice of this Father, but more importantly, our Heavenly Father. To trust in Him completely. Lean on him fully with every fiber of your being. Stand before him in humble adoration. Prize him above any gift he could possibly give you. Because he is worthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Finally and briefly then we close with the the father's third section in verses 11 and 12 which encourages us to welcome the Lord's correction. The father is not an idealist. He doesn't have rose-colored glasses. He knows the commitment to wisdom is going to be a struggle. He knows that the son is is prone to self-reliance. He knows that it's going to be easy for him to think of himself as wise, to lean on his own understanding, to give in to the enticements of the worldly wisdom that is being proclaimed around him. He knows that the son is going to stumble and fall. He's going to find himself at times no longer walking on the paths of wisdom, but straying onto the paths of folly. And when he does, he needs the Lord's discipline. He needs the Lord's correction. And once again, this is the last thing that fallen man wants to hear. It's the last thing I want to hear. Because it's one of the hardest things for us as his children to believe and to appreciate that his discipline is good. We like to think this problem is really just a struggle for children. But it's for each one of us as well, whether we want to admit it or not. We don't like discipline. We don't like to be corrected. But look at verses 11 and 12. The father says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as the father, a son in whom he delights. These two words, despise and be weary of, are extremely strong words. They depict what is the natural and expected reaction to discipline. If you want proof or an example of what that looks like, go to any parent's house with small children and see what happens when discipline is threatened. They run. They hide. They might yell, no, 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 no. Or start muttering things under their breath or seeking to distract you, hoping that suddenly, oh, I forgot, what am I supposed to be doing? Or maybe that's just my children. And despise reflects that idea of running away from it, of wanting nothing to do with it, be weary, depicts that idea of complaining or grumbling or loathing it altogether. The father knows this is how the son is going to want to respond when the Lord's discipline comes. And he pleads with the son, don't give in to your natural response. Don't do what your heart tells you you should do. Do what wisdom tells you you should do. And that is to trust in the Lord. Trust in his intentions with his discipline." It's not to bring pain just for the sake of bringing pain. Our God is not a sadist. It's not to get back at his son because he's wandered from the path. Our God is not vindictive. No, it is for the purpose of keeping the son faithful, of calling him back to wisdom, of directing him once again away from folly and away from destruction, away from evil and towards what is good and righteous and true. But discipline is also more than that. It's a tangible reminder that God loves us as his children. The author of Hebrews would draw this out even more at the end of chapter 12. When he quotes verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs 3, and then also adds this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And then he says, but he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. Discipline proves it validates our status as the sons of God. And greater still, God is using it to make us more and more like him. It offers to restore us, not into the image of our foolish self, but into the image of our wise and good God. And so this is why the father can encourage the son to welcome, to receive discipline. While it may sound like a crazy, absurd idea, it's actually a wonderful and beautiful privilege of being a child of God. He loves you, and he loves you enough to discipline you when you're walking towards folly and sin. He won't let us get away with our sin. He's not going to leave us to wander on those paths. He's not going to simply shrug his shoulders and go, oh well, when we think we're wiser than him, when we think our understanding is better than his. No, out of his abundant and steadfast love, he's going to come and correct us. He's going to instruct us one more time in in what is good. Yes, it will be painful, and at times even quite intense. And know the blessing or the, the reality that God is loving us through his discipline doesn't suddenly make it feel pleasant. But it does tell us that he loves us, he's treating us as sons, and he wants us to walk in wisdom. And it will keep us from grumbling and complaining and draw us closer to him when we will want to run away. So heed the Father's advice here. Welcome the Lord's discipline as his means to make you wise, to grow you in holiness, and to pour out his fatherly love on you, his child. And as we conclude then this morning in Proverbs chapter 3, I want to close by drawing our attention not merely to wisdom as this intangible out there idea, For this call or this commitment to wisdom is nothing less than a commitment to Jesus Christ himself. For Jesus, as the New Testament will tell us, is the wisdom of God incarnate. He is the perfect revelation of the wisdom of God in his obedient and righteousness-fulfilling life. And Jesus was also the faithful son and the wise son who kept wisdom close, trusted in the Lord completely, and welcomed the Father's discipline, even though it wasn't discipline for his own sin, because he was without sin. And that because of his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, Jesus then is the means by which we can gain both now and in the life to come all the promises that we read here that come from wisdom. For in Christ we find security and peace. In Christ, we know and experience the favor of God. By following him, we walk on straight paths that bring us healing, both to our souls and to our bodies. In Christ, we taste the abundance of God now while anticipating that full abundance that is awaiting us. And in Christ, we have the certain promise that our God does indeed love us, treat us as sons, And truly delights in us as he delights in his beloved son. So trust in Jesus. The only way to true and lasting wisdom. Whether that trust is for the first time ever or from the first time since yesterday. Stop trusting in yourself whether to get you through the trial, to keep you from the trial, to bring you success or to give you the desires that you seek. This is not wisdom. It is folly and its end is always destruction. It is like trying to rappel down a mountain without an anchor. Turn instead to Christ. He is trustworthy. He is even kind and merciful when his stubborn children wander from wisdom and stumble and plunge headlong into folly. He will discipline us and bring us back. Committing to wisdom means embracing a humble dependence upon the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, would you teach us to trust in you? As the the hymn that we sing so often, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love, the God who is all wise, the God who knows better than we do. Would you forgive us for our arrogance, for leaning on our own understanding? Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your discipline. May you teach us to trust in full, humble dependence upon you today, tomorrow, each and every day till you come where you bring us home. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.